Welcome to the Men of Sorrow's Finding Joy podcast. I am William Lloyd, a man of sorrow. Our podcast is committed to supporting and encouraging men to process their grief in order to heal and return to joyful living in the midst of great sadness. Well, it is men of sorrows and it is encouraging towards men. And I've said it before that all are encouraged to listen and and be helped in their grief journey. However, today we are busting up the men's club. We are breaking it up. (laughs) Um, I sit down with Ginny Luther. Yes, that's right. You heard it. Um, And Ginny's busted up the men's club for, for several reasons. First of all, Ginny was Liam's preschool teacher and she impacted his life in a lot of different ways. And I was eternally grateful for Ginny and and the part that she played in Liam's life when we first moved to Florida. Second, Ginny lost her dad to suicide when she was 15 years old, and she lost her son Bart, a tank commander in the United States Army, and he was killed by a fellow soldier at Fort Hood. Ginny's story is one of love, empathy, and grace in the face of deep grief she is known internationally for her work call with with her work and her organization called Peaceful Parenting. She's worked with Dr. Becky Bailey all over the country helping other people. So without further delay, here is my conversation with Ginny. Well, I'm here with Miss Ginny Luther and she has a very special place in our hearts as I said in the introduction. And I congratulate her on finally breaking up the boys club, but there's a reason for that. And that's because she was intimately acquainted with Liam. And um, she, when I came, I'll give a little background. I came to Florida and my good friend, Bill Conley knew that I had Liam and he had fetal alcohol syndrome. He was special needs. And he said, listen, he goes, you can get him in to a pre-K program he goes, we have one of the best here in Martin County, one of the best. He said, Miss Ginny Luther, her program is great. And uh, his wife, Linda, was there and she she agreed. And we called and we got Liam into Miss Ginny Luther's class and it gave him a great head start. And we'll talk a little more about that. But Ginny, I want you to, I gave a little introduction, a little introduction in the introduction to the show, but I, I really want my listeners to know who you are, what you do, and just give as much background as you, you care to. Okay. Well, thank you for inviting me. Uh, yeah. it's, it's such a pleasure for us to reconnect. I mean, it's yeah. been 30 plus years and, um, and to reconnect actually through grief and, and loss mm-hmm. is how we reconnected. But yeah. Uh, I started out actually as a speech pathologist in upstate New York, working in a psychiatric center. And I worked 10 years with pre-K children, the most challenged sexually and physically abused pre-K children in the County of Shimong. And um, I was part of a a a dynamic interdisciplinary team uh, that worked with 12 of the, of the hardest children And um, we had this team that worked together and I really became interested in teaching aside from my profession. So I worked basically in a classroom for, for 10 years. And in the midst of that, I had two children and I had a, a a very stressed marriage. Uh, So in the midst of, um, of breaking up, I got pregnant with my youngest And um, the stress of that was tremendous because I did not want to be pregnant and uh, I wanted to be out of the relationship. And so that was very difficult and stressful for me, not knowing all the impact that that has on on a pregnancy and a fetus. But suffice to say, when he was born, he he came out with guns in his hand, (laughs) you know. Uh, his name was Bart, and my firstborn was that perfect kid. You know that kid that comes out, and you're like, "Oh, I want to have a second. I didn't want to have a second. I wasn't ready to have a second, but he was that very flexible child. And then Bart came along, and he said, "You and I are going to be on a journey together that is going to be intense by his actions, by 
just the intensity of in every which way that he was. So that got me shifting my career because one day I found myself with a wooden spoon in my hand threatening him. And I was working on this interdisciplinary team in a psychiatric center. So certainly I should have known better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I was watching myself act very stupid. And in that moment, I really had an epiphany. And the epiphany was that, you know, maybe because he was a kid that just threw amazing tantrums, 45 minutes, and it was violent. He would, everything would go down. The chairs would go over. Every toy would be flown across the room. Uh, it, my my older son would go hide underneath the staircase because it was so scary. And that happened every day with him, every day, at least once a day. Wow. Yeah. And I was beside myself and I thought I should know better. And I, I just couldn't figure out how to control him. And I said, I've got to take the reins on this kid. I don't know what I'm going to do. And when I put this wooden spoon, I mean, I found, watched myself act stupid. And so there I was with a wooden spoon and he turns, he turns his little body around. He pulls his pants down. He says, spank me, mommy. <laughs> so that was a precocious moment, but it was also a moment of epiphany when I said to myself, there's got to be a better way. I can't keep trying to do all the traditional things that aren't working. I have to find something else. And I also said to myself, something's up with me, you know, like, it takes two to have a relationship and I've got to figure out what I'm doing. That's getting in the way of his compliance. You know, he just would mm -hmm. not comply. So that started my journey. That was back in 1986. Mm -hmm. And I moved to Florida. I divorced, uh, remarried and moved to Florida, started working for the Martin County school district as a uh, in challenger uh as a uh, speech pathologist with varying exceptionalities in the county then moved to pinewood that's where liam came yeah they asked i was the first pre-k class uh that was outside of challenger that they wanted to integrate uh, include as an inclusionary process into the martin county school district and so they asked for any volunteers and i said i'm it i i want to be in that classroom i want to be a teacher and so that started my journey in that regard. But at the same time, I was doing what you were doing, Bill, which was trying to figure out my relationship with BART. And, and mm -hmm. I took redirecting children's behavior, a bunch of different courses to try to get certified and to also, while I taught, would help me to heal my relationship. So that was the kind of the beginning of it. Met Dr. Becky Bailey. She is the founder of Conscious Discipline. That changed a lot for me because... The base of that program is changing yourself first before you can help. You've got to discipline yourself first before you can help mm -hmm. children discipline themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different technique because most of us go in with the, with the proverbial, metaphorically, I will say, wooden spoon in our pocket. You know, if they yeah. do this, I at least have this wooden pocket in my back, my, this wooden spoon in my back pocket. Right. So um, I began that journey and met her uh, with the brain information, all the support of the br new brain information that was coming out to support the relation-based, uh, uh, the relation-based courses I was taking to parent the discipline. Mm -hmm. So that started it, and I went to the first institute, and she asked if I would speak for her, and then I quit my job in Martin County and started speaking nationally and internationally and traveling about the country teaching conscious discipline. Mm -hmm. with my own business, Peaceful Parenting. So right. that's kind of the gist of it. Yeah, you know, the, the wooden spoon stories, kind of, there's a, my, my cousin often talks about it. Um, that was, my mom would use it. And my mom talks about, similar to you, my sister was two years older than me, then I came along. And my mom said she wanted to have four boys before she had me. And she would call her mother and say, this, this kid's a monster because I guess my mom said she would tell me not to do things and I would look right at her and do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, but I forget we were maybe I was maybe seven or eight. And my, as my cousin tells the story, I kind of remember it. My mom hit me with the wooden spoon and it didn't hurt. So I said, Oh, that like, I was sarcastic. That really hurt. And we had this tall plastic bank where we put coins in. And it was a shark. And um, she picked that up and started whacking me with it and chasing me around the house. And my cousin got a kick out of it. 
But um, I remember for me, um, I took the redirect in children's behavior class and the teacher was talking about democratic parenting. And I said, I don't like that. You know, it's, it's, I had the my way or highway attitude. We have to be in charge. The kids have to know we're in charge. And she said, finally, she said, okay, just you can be a benevolent dictatorship. She said, but right now your wife and Carrie was pregnant with Grace at the time is pregnant with a girl, a little girl, right? I said, yeah. She said, well, don't you want her to be able to use her voice and to talk, you know, and, and stand up to a man like on her first date? when she's in a car with a boy, <laughs> I said, oh, you have my attention now. You, uh, the, 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 the student is ready. <laughs> and, but we talked and she made me see that, yeah, we have to change our thinking. We have to discipline ourselves and to tie it in with the grief. I remember when I would go to John Glenn, my good friend for grief counseling, and I told him how worried I was about my wife and about grace you know like how this was gonna this tragedy was gonna affect her and he said you're he goes they're gonna grace is gonna see how you grieve and how you mourn and how you come out the other side and it's true i i see that once once they saw that i was going to be okay then they really started dealing with their stuff they were kind of just in the fight and flight stage just waiting to see if I was going to make it. And um, then they, then they were able to process and, and deal with their stuff. But um, yeah, I'm going to put, I'm going to put all the information for people that are interested in that parenting aspect of it, the conscious discipline. Cause I know, I know that it, there, there were things that really helped me change the way I parented. In fact, I was a little bit, I was a little bit, wasn't that heavy handed with Liam because part of his fetal alcohol syndrome, he was very compliant. I didn't have to like, he, he was stubborn, but as he got older, you know, when he was in adolescence, the, the gap started to come. But I remember um, he had, he had not come around the blended family much. And when he finally really started coming around, Grace was about five and Grace would, Grace would, Grace would mouth off a little bit to me, you know, and I'd let her, I'd let, I'd let her express whatever. A lot of times I'd say, Grace, I'll, I will, I will hear you out. I said, but when, when you don't want to comply, you can go to your room and be as mad as you want. And like you were saying, the tantrum thing, there's a, one time she went in there and, and she would always come out after being angry and ranting and raving, she'd come out sometimes 10, 15 minutes later, daddy and all sweet and kind. And the issue was over. But one time when I went after she came out all sweet, she had like a little sock monkey doll and the head was ripped off. of it. <laughs> But I remember when Grace mouthed off, Liam kind of like cringed. And then like later on, he said, dad, what, what's up? I said, Liam, I said, I learned a lot since, <laughs> since you were little. And he goes, oh boy, I wish you would have learned that before. <laughs> before, but I, I, I've, um, I've, I've learned a lot from the redirecting children's behavior and the conscious discipline. So I, I'm grateful for it, and I would recommend it to parents with kids and even grandparents. It'd be helpful for them. Um, so tell us more about Bart and then and his journey and and his story. Well, yeah. So, you know, um, you discovered when we reconnected that the Blue Star Grit book, which is what I've just written, it's just getting released as we speak. It will be on May 2nd. But um, I, I, that was, it hit, the stories were so intense with him. It just was mm -hmm. every single time we got into a tussle, I had an opportunity to reflect, you know, and say, okay, we, we have to help each other grow up. You know, we grew each other mm -hmm. up because mm -hmm. I was that control person and he mm -hmm. was not going to take no for an answer. Yeah. So that's I, everything I tried. I tried everything traditional. I tried bribes. I tried manipulation. I mm -hmm. tried coercion. I tried mm -hmm. restraining him. I tried spanking him. I tried I tried everything with him and nothing worked. Nothing worked. So I really didn't he forced me. He was the catalyst for me to really start looking at myself. Mm 
And so in that journey over the years of the work I was doing um, to, to help others by teaching, redirecting children's behavior, but also conscious discipline, we developed an incredibly close relationship. That doesn't mean we didn't have moments, <laughs> lots of moments. But um, he turned out to be an incredible person. He, um, he wanted to apply to West Point. He did. He got in. He decided not to go because he, he needed a, a preparatory uh, semester for math, and he wasn't willing to do it. And this was after he had spent a year as AFS student in Portugal for a year, um, learning Portuguese fluently. He was very bright. And um, so he decided that he would go to a community college here in uh, IR, 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 I think at the time was CC, mm-hmm. and um, accolades, academic team. He got a scholarship through ROTC. He always wanted to be in the military. That was his thing. He ended up graduating with a 4.0 at UVF and was commissioned into the Army as a tank commander. So he did all the training to be a tank commander, and he went over to Iraq and spent a tour there, part of a tour there. He was replacing a lieutenant that was killed in the front lines. Mm -hmm. And so he came back, and he ended up um, getting killed by one of his a soldier in his company that he didn't know personally, um, who was uh, attempting to steal some um, highly sensitive uh, military equipment that he stole from the, what's the armory he stole mm-hmm. from there. Yeah. And um, Bart had gone over to his apartment to try to retrieve the stuff because he was getting discharged the next day. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have the time or the paperwork done to, to involve any kind of um, protocol that the military would call for. So they thought they would kind of do it under the table. Mm -hmm. And so Bart went over there to make a long story short that the soldier saw him as a threat and killed Bart um, and then killed himself in that moment. So it was a terrible tragedy, terrible tragedy. Bart was trying to really help him and, Mm -hmm. um, and he didn't see it that way. And that to me, that was so profound because here, you know, when, when I had that wooden spoon in, in front of his face, his whole life kind of passed through me when he was two. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my God, if I cannot get this child under control, he's going to be a serial killer. He's going to hurt somebody really yeah. bad. You know, I was really. Our greatest fears. Yeah. Yeah. He was going to be driving down the road drunk and kill a bunch of people. And in this moment, here was Bart faced with a very person I was afraid he would become. So I had a lot of empathy for him. I, there was the forgiveness process was really interesting. I didn't really need to forgive him because I thought this soldier, as it turned out, his history, he didn't get the support that Bart got. He didn't get, yeah. didn't have the mom that went out and said, you know what? I got to tackle this. I've got to take this, the horns and I've got to do something different. I've got to create something different that will help him to succeed. So I, I, so I never really had to forgive him. Mm-hmm. And so the story is really interesting, but um, that's, that's the gist of it. So when he was 24, we lost him at, at age 24. Anyway, that's. That, that forgiveness aspect is, is very interesting that, the empathy that you already had because you knew we're really uh, accumulation of our backgrounds and our experiences. Everything that we ever experience is in our, in our subconscious mind. And it creates a lot of self-talk on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, when I, when you first told, told me there, there was another incident at Fort hood where there where a person shot, a bunch of people, but this was a separate incident. He was trying to help his friend and go under the radar. Where were you when you got the news? And and tell a little bit about your your grief journey that we're still on. We're still on. So yeah. here, the the book, you know, the Blue Star Grit book will take you from that moment. Mm-hmm. 
and then take you through Bart's life and part of my life that ends mm -hmm. with how I really am able to overcome the grief mm -hmm. and reflect with gratitude. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now that was a process because I had two major tragedies in my life. That was one. But when I was 15, my dad committed suicide mm -hmm. and I handled that grief terribly, mm -hmm. terribly. I became bulimic. I was drinking alcohol. I wasn't doing drugs then. That, that didn't happen until the 20s. But it just was such self-abusive behavior. So when, when, when I was told, uh, I, of course, I, you know, I just, I had a tantrum, a major temper tantrum. My husband had to restrain me. I had two soldiers come to my door and I was uh, pretty much, um, oh, sorry. I was pretty much uh, told that beforehand that two soldiers were going to, that someone was going to come to my door because my ex mm -hmm. was calling me saying Bart's dead. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Then the doorbell yeah. rings, right? Yeah. But I threw a tantrum and the grief process for me was numb. I was numb for a long time. It, mm -hmm. it took a long time, but I was consciously numb. If that mm -hmm. makes any sense. I was able to notice what I was feeling and I was able to accept what I was feeling to a certain degree, to a certain degree in the beginning. Mm -hmm. As time went on, the acceptance and actually welcoming, the welcoming of the feeling and the grief was say, come, I want you to come. I want you to be a part of me was mm -hmm. what really helped me because how I view emotions is for the most part as a signaling system and the motions signal you to direct your life. They signal you to make a choice. They signal you all the time. You've got emotions going on all the time, whether you're conscious of them or not is another story. If you're not conscious, you're going to be reactive. If you're conscious, you're going to respond. And so they have different messages, but the bottom line is they're your pain system for your site, for yourself, your self-actualization. Mm -hmm. They're mm -hmm. the system that signals you through pain as, as the outside world, the physical pain signals you as well to take an action and make a choice. So there's two, there's the self and the inner self, and then there's also the physical body. So, I was able to really watch myself feel. Um, although I can say that I pretty much have an, have had an MO of anxiety. Anxiety mm -hmm. is my first emotion that comes and it will shut me right down, mm -hmm. shuts me right down. And then I become numb and mm -hmm. I get very busy and I start getting busy, 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 busy. Mm -hmm. And this time with Bart, I was working out a lot. I was probably drinking more wine than I should have. Mm -hmm. Not to say I had any, right. in any drunken stupors or anything, but I, you know, it was like, oh, I gotta have a glass of wine. Oh, I'm gonna yeah. really have a glass of wine. And so there were those things, but I was able to watch myself. I was in watching mm -hmm. myself, I was able to regulate myself. You know, the process for for really being able to do that is is a, is a three-step process in my mind right is to regulate calm the emotion down mm -hmm. reboot this is a rebooting process reflect what am i feeling right now and then redirect your attention redirect your attention to what you want to happen or you want your child to happen mm -hmm. what you want to happen with your child yeah so it's this reflect or it's this regulate reflect redirect process that I constantly was saying, okay, Jenny, it's coming. Take a deep breath. You've got this. You can, you can handle this. It feels really crappy right now. What are your choices? What are your choices? Take a deep breath. You're going to handle this. You're safe. Because the truth is I wanted to die. Mm -hmm. you know, Bart was killed. I mean, I just wanted to die. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. where I went. You know, I, no. I knew I wasn't going to, I knew it was a sign of my grief because my father had killed himself and I swore to God, I was never going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I would never do that to my kids, right. but I, I knew I wanted to, mm -hmm. I definitely wanted to. No yeah. Question. Yeah. You know, 
It's real interesting that, I mean, that was, that was your wheelhouse, understanding emotions and regulate emotions, all the teaching and training that you've done. Um, part of the curriculum that we work with the guys in the halfway house and with addicts and, and ma emotional management, they used um, Albert Ellis's ABC theory of emotions. And basically your thoughts are going to either you know, antagonize or alleviate what you're thinking and what you're believing about the event, about the circumstances. And as a, and that makes that kind of being that we're teaching and we're teachers, it, it makes us more self-aware of what's going on. And I remember talking to John about it and he said, listen, he said, you're not, he says, you're not mourning your son as a teacher and you know a, a counselor pastor goes you're mourning him as a dad you know you, you you can use those tools but you have to separate the two because you'll start beating yourself up for not you know why am i feeling so downcast why well, shouldn't feel like this i can i can manage my emotions by my my thought process and what i'm thinking and processing it um he said that'll be a good tool for you he says and i like that you said you invited you invited the grief because um, there's a book that I read. My my um, mother-in-law sent it to me, and it was um, "Understanding Your Grief" by Alan Wolfelt. And he said you have to move towards it. You can't mm -hmm. move away from it. Well, think but of it as the weather. If mm -hmm. if you if you invite it, it's going to pass through really quickly. It's designed mm -hmm. to pass through to signal you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have hurricanes. And grief is hurricane. There's yeah. no question. Sometimes you just have a light storm. Sometimes mm -hmm. you just have drizzly rain for days. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So but if you can think of the, it's designed to pass through you, just, just like food is designed to pass <laughs> through you. Yeah. And if you don't poop it out, it's going to stay there and really attack you. And same with emotions. That's yeah. where so many much dis-ease, disease is called mm -hmm from cause from dis-ease yeah and so if you don't embrace it it will not pass through you and that's a hard thing but i think most people are scared they're scared that they're not going to be able to stop and i think that was my fear because mm -hmm. i remember with my dad i cried and cried i mean i could not stop crying i did not get therapy i was 15 mm -hmm. at the time yeah and i didn't get any therapy and so I had to handle and manage it myself with my friends or whatever. But the bottom line is I just couldn't stop crying. I couldn't even, there was, to reach for joy was so impossible for me. I just felt so uncomfortable to me. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, it was, I just stayed in sadness. I hated it. And yet I didn't want to leave it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It was this yeah. tussling. And yet I, I was resisting myself. I was resisting the sadness by saying, I should stop crying. I should yeah. be better. I, my friends aren't going to want to be around me if all I'm doing is crying. Yeah. <laughs> That's, you know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. So that this time around, I was conscious of, I was mm -hmm. conscious that I wanted to die. I allowed that to be there. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I allowed it. I welcomed it. I said, okay. Let's just let it be. How mm -hmm. bad does it feel? And I, there was one time that, um, you know, grieving for me was interesting because I really wanted to belt it out. I mean, grief is really deep and it's big. And sometimes for me, I felt if I really grieved in other people, I was going to make them uncomfortable. I was going to create discomfort or be responsible for their discomfort, even though yeah. I know wholeheartedly that's not true. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to imposition people with my upset state. Mm -hmm. So I would find, excuse me, I would find places to go. So one of the best places was in my car. I would just park off the side of a park and I would just belt it out inside my car, just belt mm -hmm. the anger, belt the sadness, belt it all out. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't even talk anymore till I, there just were no more tears. Or one time in my house, I I was alone. So it was great because I was alone and it just came to me and I said, all right, come on, Jenny, let it out. So I started and oh my gosh, 
my husband comes running through the door. He had come home. He comes running through the door. What's going on? Right. <laughs> Grabs me. He's holding yeah. me like a toddler who just fell down and very scary, had a very scary fall. He's grabbing me. And so he kind of took a little bit of away from me. Um, but I told him, I said, I just need to do this alone sometimes. He says, well, I thought that one of the kids in the back on the house behind us was something happened because I heard this screaming. And he said, I, yeah. I didn't know what it was. And when I saw you, he said, I freaked out. So it was, I knew right then the way to handle it for me was to do that because yeah. I couldn't really do it without mm -hmm. really triggering somebody else. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I get that. And I, I, I used to, I, I had to be alone, you know, to do it a lot, but I, 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 I think we talked about it. There was a difference. I did go to some support groups and I did name my really good friend. He's a Vietnam veteran and he's a, he's a church pastor and counselor with a psychology degree. I, I named him. I said, you're going to be my grief counselor. He said, I'm, I'm here, whatever you need. And, but one of the, one of the things I remember is that sometimes on the, the, the deepest despair, I, I had to be alone and I had to scream, cry, you know, but I, I found talking, but there were two incidents where I really thought I had it together. Um, one of the things you've mentioned that you exercise, you worked out a lot. That was something that I had already been doing. So it was easy to go on autopilot and just exercise. And everyone told me you have to eat, get your sleep, exercise, you know, in, in your grief, you have to take care of yourself. And so I was able to do most of that. And I remember the one day I went in to the gym, it was, wasn't, it was only like maybe a week or two into it all. And I ran into a friend of mine, Martin, and he came over and he said, I'm really sorry. And I just threw my arms around. I was bawling right in the gym. <laughs> and he, you know, he didn't care. He just kind of, it didn't seem to freak him out. And then I, I said, I'm so sorry. You know, he says, you don't have to be sorry, you know? And um, then we just went about our workout. And then when I went back to work, I was out of school for about 10 days. I went back to work, Ed Geiger, um, he, he, he was in the Marine Corps before he became a teacher and a coach. And, uh, Liam had given him, a, um, Marine Jersey that he had. Um, and that was really special to Ed. And then Ed right away did the JROTC, did, uh, all the parking for the spring football game. They donated to the Semper Fi fund in Liam's memory. So I went back to school and I just went into the office to thank him. And I said, I really want to thank you for what you did for Liam. And as soon as I said, Liam, I started bawling in his office and I was wailing. He ran out from beside the desk and he was just kind of hugging me until I, until I was done. He said, you know, close the door. He said, sit down here, stay as long as you want, you know. But I remember those two incidences where I caught people by surprise, but they were they were very gracious. They didn't they didn't seem to to mind that. But, yeah, I can relate to. Being alone in the car was very good. I remember I briefly went through an, an a bout of anger. And I was just driving down 95 and I was cussing and carrying on about everything. And I thought to myself, that felt really good. You know, that, that anger feels a lot better than the, the raw grief. And I can see how that that's one reason I started the podcast is the groups were predominantly women and their report was my husband stays busy and he's angry. And I said, I know why. That anger feels a lot better than that wanting to die, that raw grief. And you and I I felt the same way. You you don't want to die. I mean, you don't you don't know how to live. You want to die, but then you don't want to die. You don't know how to live. You want to jump in the grave with your kid. Then you have these other people that you love. You have other children. It, it's 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 a turmoil. It's a, you mentioned it's a hurricane. It's a tornado. It's all those things. It's so. all those things. And, you know, anger is really kind of a secondary emotion. So it's anger is an emotion of resistance. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it says, I am denying what's going on right now. And mm -hmm. it's also more acceptable for men than it is for women. So mm -hmm. 
that's that would make sense yeah. right but yeah. underneath the anger is uh you know as i like to describe sometimes anger as the foam on a root beer you know you pour the the root beer into a mug mm-hmm. and all that foam comes up and it just foams out but underneath is what the real feelings are yeah and that's what it allows you to do so for me it it explains in in blue star grit you know that mm-hmm. that i the journey from going from that it's not explaining, but through the stories, you get the gist of how at first my resistance got in the way of me being able to grieve, to accepting the emotions, to be able to, the grief to be able to just pass through me. So this one time I was telling you about with, with my husband, there was a moment before he rescued me that I was actually grieving and, and experiencing a beauty. It was really weird because mm-hmm. I was welcoming it. You know, my, I was watching my wailing self, you know, I watched my wailing self and my, my, I was rubbing the back of my wailing self, but in doing that, the beauty of the love that I had for my child was so clear to me. I get chills when I think about it now. Yeah. It was, I totally did not expect that to happen. And, but I think we're afraid to feel it because we're so afraid we're not going to stop or it's going to impose on somebody else or we're going to just die in that moment because we're just going to be too sad. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's the truth. You know, mm-hmm. I think that if we are willing to know that it's a process for healing, then we can accept it more. Yeah, I I agree because I I try to explain people like so like one time, um, you know how people say, well, how are you? You know, and it's more like a hello or a greeting. And um, I was at at work at school, and my friend saw me in the hall. He goes, how are you? How are you? I said, I'm doing good. And um, he came over and he kind of like grabbed my arm and he said, no, he goes, how are you? Mm. And then I knew what he was asking. And um, I said, oh, <laughs> because I'm always ready. Like I, I'm more than willing to I, to talk about it. I'll talk about Liam at the drop of a hat or, you know, my grief. And I said, you know, I said, um, and I, when he asked me that, it was just, a, it was a little over three years at this point. We're coming up, it was coming up on three years. And I said, you know, I said, it's hard to explain. I said, I have more joy in my life than I've ever had. And, and you wouldn't think I said, but the sadness is always there. It's kind of a blend. I said, but, but I, I have, I have a lot of joy and um, it's, it's hard to explain. I said, but I went from wanting to die and not knowing how to live to, to loving life and, and, and embracing it. And when those, like you said, I like how you said that sometimes the grief is like a hurricane or that sometimes it is a drizzle. It's It's just a drizzle. It's just that, you know. Another way I found was really helpful for my healing was we, one of the ways to heal your hurt is to be helpful. Mm -hmm. Right. So you chose this podcast, right? Yeah. We developed Bart's Blue Star Foundation. Mm -hmm. It helps kids just like his killer Jody, his this killer was Jody mm-hmm. that helps the Jodies of the world that yeah. don't have the support for social, emotional um, learning or the, the people that are training them or in their care don't have the training to be able to help kids to train, to, to regulate themselves. So that's our mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but that helped a lot. That helped a lot because then it my then Bart's death became purposeful in a more beautiful way like his legacy stands and it's here and it's helping other people Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah no that makes great sense but i i love how that the 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 foundation and what you're doing moving forward is for the jodies for the for the, the the person that took your son's life that's amazing to me yeah yeah, a lot of people. Tim Malloy came over. Do you, you know who Tim Malloy is? He's he was an old reporter here for WPTV. Yeah, um, that name. Newscaster. 
he ended up uh, moving up to Connecticut and he was PBS uh, war correspondent. Mm -hmm. so, but he was very interested in art because it was kind of national news here when Bart was killed. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so he kept coming to my house and he'd say, how are you going to forgive his killer? How are you going to do that? And I'd say, I don't have to. Yeah, I, I don't. I, for, I, I Forgiveness is not what I need. I have empathy for him and I don't need mm -hmm. to forgive if I have empathy. I yeah. understand what he did. Am I pissed? Yes. Am I angry? Yes, that it happened. But I can't blame him. There's so many other things to blame. Mm -hmm. You know, it's our culture. It's whatever yeah. the whole military thing, whatever it is. It's mm -hmm. so many different things that contributed to Jody being who he was. Did he have a teacher who cared? Did he have a parent who cared? Did he have somebody looking out for him? He was shuffled from one foster care to another. He had a difficult life. He was perfect for the army. They could put him in the front lines and... Mm -hmm knew what was told. And he had that connection in the army because they build a, the team that's built in, in the military is huge. It's a huge connection. And so, you know, there was just, he, it was hard for Tim to get it. He kept coming back to my house and he goes, okay, tell me again why you don't have to forgive him. <laughs> but that's <laughs> the same thing. It's like, yeah. I really wanted it to be about Jody. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that's, that's amazing. I'm really looking forward to, to read in the book and, and maybe we'll come back on after we read the book. The other thing that was real interesting that I didn't know, I didn't know about your dad. And, um, you know, I remember, you know, when that, when that happens and, and, and suicide definitely com complicates the grief. And that was Liam's, Liam's case. Um, you know, you have, it just complicates things, but I remember, you know, talking to John, and it seems like yours manifested itself. You you mentioned bulimic behavior, you know, and that's that's more about control than anything because you feel when that happens, I felt so out of control. And you mentioned anxiety. My go-to emotion and stress was always anger. Would always mm -hmm. be anger. Carries is anxiety. Mine was anger. So that was an interesting mix that we had to to work out. And I remember like Carrie would say, Grace has this earache. And I would, I, all of a sudden I would get angry, but what am I angry at? She has an earache. We got to get to the doctor. So that anger would, you know, my, I would go to the doctor and then after everything was done, we'd be walking out. I'd have Grace in my arms and, and Carrie sensed my anger and, and it would make her more anxious, you know? And then I would be walking out with Grace in my arms and start crying because she was okay. And Carrie would kind of look at me and, and shake her head. She says, you're such a paradox. And I try to explain to her, you know, that these are our go-to emotions. But when Liam died, I felt anxiety for the first time. I mean, I, that, and it scared me because I never, that never really was one of my go, that wasn't the way I coped with stress. It was always, you know, either anger, or I would just kind of totally back, back away from it. Mm -hmm. And that, that bothered me and it was suggested maybe that I go um, get some medication. And, you know, I didn't want to do that. And I, I would have if it gave me a, a window. But I learned, to, I learned to, to deal with it. You know, I learned to say, okay, why am I anxious? Well, uh, things are out of control now. The world just became this unsafe place. And I have to process all that, you know. And, but I didn't know that about your dad either. I'm really sorry about that, too. Well, it's an it's an interesting paradox. It's all it's all in the blue star blue star grit book. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's really interesting. It's very raw. It's very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I think it, you know my the intention is to inspire people that they can get through anything. You know, you can deal with it. Yeah, it feels like you can't, but the actual struggle itself is the growth. You know it. It is what catapults you to, you know, to, to, to see the beauty mm -hmm. <laughs> in yourself, yeah. in your children, in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's amazing, you know, that something so hard can pr produce such a beautiful rainbow. You know, mm -hmm. I just think people are so afraid. And I think the other thing that really contributes to people's inability to be able to be vulnerable to 
sharing their emotions is because when we were younger, we didn't really, our parents didn't really know what to do. So they, for the most part, a blanket of guilt was pretty much put over any emotion we showed as a child. You know, Mm -hmm. you're upsetting your mother. How can you, you know, that's, that's, she does a lot for you. Why are you upsetting your mother? If you've got that attitude, you just go to your room. Right. I mean, anytime you're upset, it's not an acceptable emotion to most people. Mm-hmm. Happy is, is acceptable, not too happy. Happy is acceptable. Yeah. But calm is the best. So if a child is calm, then they're, they're a good, good kid. And anger was always seen as disrespect. Exactly. It was seen mm-hmm. as you're doing, you're doing this to me. And that's where the shift is starting to happen is, no, this is child's emotion. Our job is to help them make sense of what's going on for mm-hmm. them yeah. or other people. We want to help them make sense of what's going on for them mm-hmm. so that they can get about the business of regulating themselves and calming themselves down so that they can make some choices. Yeah. Where, where I grew up in New Jersey and my dad's generation, all my friends, we were raised by men that they didn't they weren't, they weren't called upon to be, you know, people didn't talk about their emotions mm-hmm. and, and really brain research. If you think about research as a whole, even though it's, it's what, 40, 50 years old now, it's, that's still relatively young and, and, and things that they're learning about the brain right up till now is, is amazing what the brain is. Someone said that it was compared to a computer, but it's more like an ecosystem, <laughs> It's yeah. definitely an ecosystem. Yeah. There's no question. And they're learning more and more about it. But it's as much as all of that's true, it's not easy to start regulating yourself because the only messages, the inner speech that you have about your emotions came from when you were a child. And that was set in the foundation of your ability to cope and be resilient. So resiliency established is really established at a very early age. Yes. And so that's why I like to work with early childhood because that's <laughs> where you really make the difference. Mm-hmm. Does that make yeah. sense? Yes. That's where you can build the yeah. foundation of them being able to re- regulate themselves, them, regulate themselves. Right. And it would be nice if our world did that. Yes. We wouldn't have, yeah. any bl- we wouldn't have much blame going on. No. Yeah, because people, when we blame our anger or whatever emotion on other people, we're giving them power. We're saying they're able to do that. And You're in charge of me. And 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 then you're waiting for them to change so you can feel happy. There's a fun place to be. (laughs) That is just not a fun place to be, is to give your power away like that. So, yeah, so the, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's been such an interesting process. And so... Anyway, here we are. Yeah, and and all of that, I mean, that helped, that really helped me a lot. And I know that you were responsible for bringing the redirecting children's behavior to be what it is on the Treasure Coast. So when I took that, it was definitely some tools, but that's something that helped me understand my dad better too and work through forgiveness because he didn't know what to do with his anger. And so for some reason, I always got caught... on the wrong side of his anger more than my brother and sister i don't know if it's because i was the oldest male or i don't but you know i had to i had to work through some things and the thing that i really saw that was most detrimental for me psychologically was that whenever there was conflict i would just back away because whenever there was conflict that means i'm going to get hurt really Mm -hmm. hurt so I wouldn't, I would avoid conflict as the more I can. And then, but if I avoided it too long, then I'd blow up, you know, so I had to learn to handle conflict. So taking the class as a, you think it's a parenting class, redirecting children's behavior was redirecting me and it helped me in, you know, in all my relationships. So, and that in conscious discipline just is like a goes much a lot more, deeper. It goes a lot deeper. It's way more comprehensive and gives you tons more skills Mm -hmm. uh, to specifically do with yourself and with your children. So that, which is really helpful because yeah, the only person you really can make change is you. You can't make anybody else change. And that was the biggest thing for me, Mm -hmm. you know, is that I can't make Bart change. I can't make the world change. I can't make the army change. I can't make 
Jody change. I can't make anything change. Because right. people say, why don't you sue the army? I mean, there's all this. I said, yeah. well, you know, I just really don't want to be that angry. And I can't make them change anyway. The only person I can make change is myself. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so. Yeah, that that is uh, that is so inspirational to me that that the focus is on working with the the Jodies and those kids. Because my wife Carrie, she teaches in the Title One school, and her heart breaks at the all the foster care and the parents that are not regulating themselves. Their parents, and they just pass that cycle on. You know, they just they just pass it on. Um, one of the things I wanted to you to do before we we close up is how can people access your materials and and where are you teaching what what is your schedule coming up are you doing anything on the treasure coast i know you do things all over the country right you just got back from miami and so well i do mostly in florida now because i'm supposed to be retired ha ha (laughs) um so no i i don't actually advertise myself much because i'm actually trying to retire so the work that i do is people that know me have come to me they Mm -hmm. seek me out i don't seek usually i do everything from coaching uh, actually transforming cultures in schools whole schools Mm -hmm. to um doing family visits going in and one-on-one and i also do sort of life coaching like Mm -hmm. kind of what you do uh, but I do life coaching when, with the, the concepts of conscious discipline of what I am, because I'm a master instructor. And um, um, but right now we're ending the year for a lot of different things. So I do lots of coaching in early childhood centers. I do a lot of teacher trainings here and there, and I do parenting classes, but they usually start in, in September. My suggestion would be go to consciousdiscipline.com. Mm-hmm. If you want personal, you want some personal consultation, like via Zoom or something like that, that would be Ginny Luther at gmail.com. My business is Peaceful Parenting. And if you want the book, uh, Blue Star uh, Blue Star Grit, um, and you'll understand the Blue Star aspect of it when you start reading it, um, you can go to Amazon and order it there, or you can get on my email list and with follow-up classes and different things that will happen um, on my website, which is JinnyLuther.com. Okay. Yeah. And that, all that and there's stuff. also, if you'd like to donate, you can go to BartsBlueStar.org mm-hmm. to that organization. Okay. BartsBlueStar.org. I'll put that in the show notes too. All the information of, of how to get in touch with you will be in the, show notes. I got the, I got the update in the email the other day that the book will be coming out soon. Um, so that you, you can I get emails. Two. Yeah. The first, did you get the second one? Second yes. Email? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other than that, I just, I wanted to end with this little story because um, when Jenny was um, Liam's preschool teacher it was the, the first year we moved to Florida, I was so excited because there were so many wonderful things going on. And there's times when teachers will, you know, speak things into your life. You know, that's another thing that we do. And um, Liam was, um, for so for graduation, Jenny did the uh, little engine that could. The kids put on the play of the story and, and Liam was the little engine. <laughs> and... Um, one of the things that Ginny said when she spoke to each of her kids, she spoke to each one of them and spoke things. And she said, Liam, you love to learn. You love learning, don't you? And um, talked that way. And Liam said, yeah, Liam was, he was a fanatic with books. I mean, he read and read. Um, when he got his um, discharge papers from, from the, when he, his service was done, they had a little dinner and they, gave him a couple of plaques, but one of the ones they gave him was, um, I wouldn't say it was a gag award, but it was more of the, the, it was less official, but they gave him, they called him the Lorax. And they gave him, it, it was this paragraph and it said, because you have brought literature, literary awareness to the Marine Corps, we give you this. Cause he, anytime that he had free time, he was reading and he, he had, 
he had books upon books. He loved the war, you know, the history of World War II. And, um, but he read Tolstoy. He read um, the, the, what was the big, um, it became movies. Um, I can't think of it. Oh, The Lord of the Rings. He read all of those things. And so you spoke that into his life that he loved learning and he did. He was a lifelong learner. But the other thing, the little engine that could, when he went in the Marine Corps, Liam was low birth weight. He had fetal alcohol syndrome. He was, I, I think he might've been like maybe five foot four, <laughs> right? He was, he was small. His frame was small. And people kept telling him, you don't have, you, you're, you can't make it in the Marine Corps. You're not going to make it. And he made it through boot camp. And at one point, and I didn't know this till after he passed away, but a couple came to me, um, Jamie and Brian Rosberger, and they, Ben Rosberger, he 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 passed away. Um, he was in the Marine Corps. He he got into an accident, a truck accident, um, off of base. But Ben's mom and dad came over to see me because Liam would always check in with them and see how they were after Ben died. But the dad told me, Ben said that at one point, the drill sergeant, the drill instructor in the Marines, they have to be called drill instructors. I was corrected on that. Um, not sergeant, drill instructor, pulled Liam up and said, look at this kid. He's, he's, he's small. He's this, he's that. But he has heart. And some of you bigger guys, if you had heart like he did, we'd lick the civilized world. You know, they were, you know, and then after he got through boot camp, he went into infantry training, but they had these backpacks that were almost as big as him. And it kept pushing them forward when they would run and go up hills and things. And they said that he, he just like, they said at one point he was crawling in the dirt, kind of using his head to push him along. He just wouldn't give up. He was not going to give up. And they, they, they pulled him aside. They said, Liam, you, you, we don't know why you picked infantry as your MOS. <laughs> They said, you don't have, they said, you don't have the frame. They said, we never let anyone switch. That's what they said. They're MOS. They said, but we're mm -hmm. going to switch. Your, your marksmanship is really good. Like he was a really good shot. We're going to move you into to, um, something else. And then they moved him first into supply and working with the recruits. And then he wound up working with the recruits on their marksmanship, marksmanship on the, on the line. Um, so that was that was that was his story. He was the little engine that could. You you saw that, and, you, and his heart was huge. His yeah. heart was huge. Yeah. Yeah. So you just That's always cool. have had a, a real special place for us, and you really you really impacted his life in a great way. Um, you know, he did have he did get some brain injury in a, in a training accident. Um, he was he was expected to be deployed, and he, they went out to California and. Um, so whatever he dealt with, he finally did give up. I don't, I don't, I'll never understand it, but um, I believe I'll, I'll see him again and we'll sort all that out one day. But I, I really, we love you and we appreciate you. And I, I'm looking forward to your book and we'll talk more after that. And um, all right. So I won't, I won't make, I won't really push it too much because you're trying to retire. Oh, no, no. It's, it's okay. And I can always yeah. say yes or no, but, but bottom line is, um, uh, yeah, right now the, the focus is the book. So I'm doing speaking yeah. Yeah. and things like that, you know, um, I would, I would keynotes get, and things like that. Yeah. that Maybe do a by. book sign, do a book signing right there in Jensen beach, Barnes and Noble. That's the intention. Yeah. yeah. To do that. It's, it's blue star grit, a mother's journey of triumph and tragedy raising a defiant child into an exceptional leader so that's the name of the book and right yeah. now you can pre-order it it won't be out till may 2nd all right we're looking forward to that jenny thank you so much for coming on and uh i really appreciate it and all that well, information thank you. i feel honored that i'm the first one that broke the seal yeah you broke up the boys club that's good that's an awesome thing awesome <laughs> <laughs>